Hey there, and welcome to the Jimmy's Table podcast at jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey. I'm curiously evangelical, politically homeless, and a dreamer of small things. On this podcast, I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. So if you have honest questions, aren't afraid to have difficult conversations, and want to have a little fun along the way, then pull up a chair. This podcast is for you. So, today's episode 110, I'm going to do something I haven't done in a long time. I'm going to have an interview. I'm going to have an interview with John Howie. He's my friend from Canada. He's been on the podcast a couple times. You can go back at jimmystable.com and do a search and find John Howie and all the fun episodes we've done together. John Howie is a Christian living in Canada. He's from the Alberta area. He's a podcaster, social media influencer, thinker, musician, songwriter, and he strives to build bridges between the sacred and the secular, the left and the right, and the practical and the abstract. He's also my brother from another mother and podcasting pen pal. We do a few shows together. This one, Wax Museum and ADD Masterminds. Those are two of his podcasts. Highly encourage you to check them out. I occasionally even pop on over there with him. Apart from Kevin O'Leary, though, he's my favorite Canadian um, and I just love John. He's awesome. He's got an amazing perspective. And he's, at the end of the day, the chancellor of my heart, the czar of my mind, and something of a cult leader. Well, maybe not. But maybe, I think. But anyway, on today's show, I'm having John to come talk about the great theological topic he proposed when I asked him to come on the show. And that is the idea that his God is pretty chill. And I've been to Bible college and seminary, and I don't quite remember learning those things, you know, uh, when I was there. So I was like, hey, this sounds like a fun topic, something I'd like to explore with John, and John is the perfect person to explore it. So let's go ahead and get an episode 1010 today, John Howie, and the idea that God is pretty chill. So John, I want to read this quote to you, because you put this out there. We were talking about it on Twitter. We are talking about God being pretty chill and you put it out there asking for some feedback on Twitter, and the Twitterverse responded, as Twitter so often does. And there's this great quote from Pastor uh, on Twitter that you and I both interact with, Jim Mead. He's also, also an author of Jesus and, and then it talks about a book on Christmas, heaven, new life, suffering, forgiveness, and truth. I'll link to it in the show notes. You've read the book, um, so uh, you, I'll take your word on if it's any good or not. Uh, is it any good? It's good. Okay, great. We can call it Jesus and ellipsis because it's got like the three periods, which is ellipsis. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so there's this great quote that I thought, you know, Jim really contributed to this conversation. So shout out to Jim uh, for this great quote. He, Jim said, Jesus was so chill about who was included in God's love. He was the opposite of chill about those who kept marginalized people away from God and excluded them from God's redemptive work and love. Women, kids, the poor, people who didn't own property, people with lousy jobs, and sinners. And I thought that was a pretty good quote because, you know, in my Bible college seminary background sort of stuff, you know, in a very evangelical perspective on things, you know, we don't tend to preach uh, God being on the chill side. And if we do, it's in this kind of greasy grace, cheap grace thing that, you know, we sometimes talk about. What is this idea of God being chill? You, you say you don't think that God is as technical as people want 
make him out to be and he's actually pretty chill. What do you mean by technical and what do you mean by chill and how can you tie this all in together to Jim's quote? Well, I think I, I really like what Jim added to that because it's like you can't say that God's chill about everything, right? right? And so, like, my initial question is, like, what are things that, like, mainstream ev- evangelicalism, you know, thinks that God is really awful about or very uh, technical about, I guess, is right. what I'm trying to say, um, that he's actually pretty chill about, and so, I mean, like to say who was included in God's love, it's like, yeah, that's that's something I definitely think he's chill about. Um, you know, when we talk about technical, it's like, well, who qualifies for God's love? Mm. Right. And I, I think that like a lot of times that's what religion does is makes a whole lot of rules for who's in and who's out. Right. Um, and I, I think in a lot of ways, God's not technical that way. Interesting. Um and I think we get bogged down so much in the technicalities that we ignore the abuse that's happening. Right. And so we're more hung up on personal sin and not looking at actual mistreatment of people. And it does the church such, such a disservice when they seem more concerned about, you know, the meat sacrificed to an idol mm. and not about the sexual abuse that's happening in their own walls. Interesting. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's an interesting perspective because we get hung up on the technicalities of, is this right or is this wrong? Does this make God happy? Does this glorify God? And while those things can definitely be important, and I think even Jim Mead in his quote, like you said, he, he talks about how there's things God's chill about. But he does talk about those things that where God was the opposite of chill and I would even dare say angry. But it seems like what you're after, maybe what Jim is after in this quote, is that some of our technicalities cause us to forget that we're kind of dealing with people. Um, and we treat them as projects, as, as people with issues and hangups and things wrong with them. Um, things they do that aren't nice, things they do that aren't cool with God. And then we and we beat them over the head about those things, but in the process we forget this is a human being created in the image of God that I'm dealing with, and I'm just treating them like they're like some sort of gardening project, and I th- there's yeah. some sort of rock in my backyard that I have to break up, and they're the rock. I'm I'm plugged into a digital community that has like people of various belief systems, right? And a lot of them are deconstructing Christians. Um, But there's a couple atheists kind of sprinkled in there. You know, some affirming Christians, some non-affirming Christians. And, you know, something that really hit me in one of our meetups is like this idea that we make people into projects Hmm. and how Christians will have fake friendships with people that are not in the church. Right. Because they're projects. And it's like, oh, that's so silly. Because it's almost like you want to score those technical points right. of bringing that non-believer and tricking them 
into becoming a Christian. <laughs> it, it's kind of it's kind of, kind of like what people do with multi-level marketing programs. You know, everybody in the yeah. the multi-level marketing person is willing to be your friend up until you make it clear that you don't want to join their multi-level marketing program, um, and then all of a sudden they're not your friend anymore, and you never see and hear from them again. <laughs> well, it, and it's so phony. Yeah, and right. I mean, it's like we've got to get these people to say the magic words so they're in the club. Right. And uh, I. I just don't think that it's that technical. I I think that like when it comes down to it, it's like God is love. And when I fall short of love, I need to ask for forgiveness. I cannot just live in a lack of love because that's when God's not going to be chill with me. Right. Mm, right. Um, but I think there's just like, I, I guess the other thing that kind of stimulated this to me is um, we were talking about Bill Garthard, um in, I think it was episode two of my series on Jesus and John Wayne. And one of the things that Gothard said was, God knows your thoughts. And I remember as a kid, as a teenager, actually really as a teenager and a young adult, <laughs> that would scare the crap out of me. <laughs> and now I'm kind of like, huh, God knows my thoughts. But he's pretty chill about that. Yeah. So, you know, he's not sitting there looking at every technicality of what I'm thinking and whether I've crossed the line. Mm. I, I think that he, he knows my thoughts and he knows where my heart is, right. generally speaking. Um, and so it's not like, you know, oh, no, I had a thought I shouldn't have before I died and right. I'm going to end up in hell. Right. I, I think that it's like, no, nope, he knows. He knows where my heart is. Right. And so it's not, I'm not going to suffer eternal conscious torment on a technicality <laughs> because my God's pretty chill. Right. I remember a European pastor friend of mine uh, who was talking about, you know, how, talking about this in a gracious manner and stuff, but he was talking about like, you know, God's not going to send you to hell because you're lying there on your deathbed and, you know, you just so happen to notice that the nurse that's administering drugs to you is kind of on the hot side. And, you know, you have maybe an inappropriate thought about her before you pass out. Like, he's like, you're not going to go to hell over that. Like, there, there's something more here. Um, so what what is it that you think makes God chill? And how, how would you define chill? I, I haven't... I haven't I, I, Deciding because, you know, I'm something of a dork. I decided, to, hey, let's look and ha decided to want to have some fun. Let's look this up on Urban Dictionary, which can be, you know, pretty precarious when you look up words on Urban Dictionary. Um, but chill. The top definition for the word chill is a word that can be used for many things. It could describe being cool, going with the flow, or cold object. But overall, chill is a good word. Wow, that dude is pretty chill if we're going to use it in a sentence. How does that fit with your definition of chill, and what is it that makes God chill? Who, why is it, as a as God in His personhood, is God chill? I think you know, like when you talk about going with the flow, I I don't like I wouldn't say that God just goes with the flow all the time. Hmm. So my pretty chill isn't like saying chill to the point where He just goes with the flow. But I I do think like there are times like. When I was talking to Kootenai Girl, it dawned upon me. It's like, hey, son, want to take the car for a spin? And you take a car for the sp a spin and you bring it back. And God's like, oh, you got a little scratch on it. And you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. And he's like, nah, nah, it's all, it's all good. 
<laughs> and then it's like, okay, but if you take the car for a spin and you like total the car, you know, God's going to be like, yeah, you're going to have to pay for that. Mm. And then, you know, it's funny because Kootenai Girl said, yeah, but he's also going to say, but was it fun though? (laughs) (laughs) And I, I think the reason why I wanted to say my God is pretty chill is because, you know, when I looked at Gothard's, Gothard, Gothard's um, version of God, I was like, man, this, this God seems so awful. My God is way more chill than his. Right. And, the the insane thing too is that like one of the things he said is you need to um, obey those placed in authority over you by God. Mm-hmm. And when I read that, I was like, that is a very dangerous concept, right? Because it's like it's like mindless obedience. You have to you have to obey them, right? And I'm like. Yeah, I think my God's more chill than that, too. Like, he's kind of like, look, like, when those dudes are being crazy, like, you can question them. Like, that's okay. Right. You know, it's like, you don't need to take abuse. And the ironic thing is, in the end, Gothard was found to be an abuser. Mm. And I'm like, that doesn't surprise me. And it's just this, like, adherence to what he would consider it a, a holy standard, but it basically places people in a position where they have to adhere to authority. And then you get into that situation where you got someone like, like Ravi, who's right. like saying, don't tell anybody about what happened because it'll, it'll, all these souls will be lost because of it. And right. it puts pressure on the victim. Right. And I'm like, that's so messed up because it's like these, these people are wielding power that I'm like, I don't think God wants them to have that kind of power over people. Right. You know, I think there can be a place for authority and chains of command and obedience and things like that in certain contexts. But I also, I can't help but sit there and think sometimes when people are just like, especially pastors are demanding absolute obedience to their authority as the man of God. You know, I I can't help but think of Jesus' taunt to the Pharisees about if an ox falls into a pit on the Sabbath, what are you going to do with it? It's okay to heal on the Sabbath. It's okay to go get your ox out of the pit on the Sabbath because Sabbath was created for the for man, not man for the Sabbath. And I think that yeah. sort of philosophy could apply towards, you know, when it comes to issues of authority. Like, as a general rule of thumb, like, you know, if your dad tells you to do something, you should do something. If if your pastor tells you to do something, you should probably do it. If, if your boss tells you to do something, you should probably do it. But at the same time, if, if there's no life in what's happening and something actually becomes abusive and something allows death to spread into the situation, then it is your responsibility to break with the command you know, the command that you shall not work on the Sabbath day uh, to go get the ox out of the pit. Um, well, and I, I honestly, in that whole concept, you know, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Um, I, I really believe that all of these laws, you know, that you find in the Bible are not meant you know, for us to be 100% pure and earn our way into heaven. Right. It's like all these, all these, 
you know, concepts that are laid out in the Bible are meant to show us the optimal way to live. Right. You know, and it's, it's for our own good. And so when we're able to see that and say, oh, okay. Right. This principle, you know, it's like, I need to be generous. That's for my own good too. Right. I'm going to be a happier person if I'm generous. It's not just like straight up, you know, we got to stroke God's ego by being generous. Right. You know, <laughs> he's pretty chill about it. You right. know? And I, I think the thing too, like when, when God asks us to do something, you know, like I still kind of stuck on this. Like I, I guess being a parent has really, you know, been a big part of my theology because I look at it and I'm like, mm-hmm. man, like if I can forgive my kids for stuff, like how much more can God forgive them for stuff? Right. And there's been times too when my kids are young where they're like, I, I don't know if God's going to forgive me. And I'm like, well, would I forgive you? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, of course God would, right? Like right. God's more chill than I am. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like this God that we present young children and we try to keep people adhering to, you know, or, or you know, trying to keep people fearful of. I, I think that it's it's a mass manipulation. Mm. Like when in reality it's like God is love. Right. And he calls us to love. Like that's what all of this is. Right. All of the laws of the prophets are love God, love others. Right. And so it's like, so what does that look like? Is this leading me to love? Because I do sense that in a lot of these, you know, so-called fundamentalist churches, um, you know, Bible-believing churches i see a severe lack of the fruits of the spirit Mm. and i'm like why is that it's because their god is not chill at all Mm. and they are just trying to adhere to all these standards and trying to force people to adhere to all these standards and then they talk down to people as if they're superior and I'm like, that's so problematic because nobody wants anything to do with these people. <laughs> right. And I'm like, I, that's just not the same God I serve because right. my God's pretty chill. It, you know what you were saying a moment ago about how God wants us to be able to live life. And that's what really all those commands were about. Like, I mean, you, you read the end of... Deuteronomy and I think Deuteronomy chapter 30 where Moses is like I set before you today the ways of life and death choose life so that you may live and do all these things in the land that I you know so you can continue to thrive in the land that I'm giving that I promise you and your fathers King Jimmy version um and and I sit there and think you know Moses wasn't about the 613 laws for the 613 laws sake God just happened to see these 613 laws that he gave through Moses and the Ten Commandments and stuff like that as, like, I like to say, the beautiful way. This, this is so that you can live. This is for your own good. This is so that you yeah. can have life. This is so you can have abundance. This is so how you can prosper in the way that God designed us and ultimately intended for us as humans to prosper and to function. Um, and it's not about the rules and regulations, although the rules and regulations can certainly enter into things and tell us maybe when we veered too far off the, the path of life that God would have us to follow. But it's ultimately not about beating us over the head with, well, did you, was the very first check that you wrote after you got paid, was that your tithe check? Because if you didn't, you robbed God. 
And and it's like and it scares people to death. And I've known people who are scared to death under such preaching. And it kind of reminds me of a, a TV show I was watching recently. I've been binging Vikings on um, Hulu. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's about the... I haven't. Yeah, it's about the Vikings and their pillaging of Europe and France and all that stuff. It's fun. Um, but, you know, it was exploring their pagan sort of religion. And at one point during the show... They had to sac- choose nine people from their tribe to sacrifice to whatever gods they were worshiping because they're like, if these people don't go and they don't go willingly as sacrifices to whatever god that we worship, then all these bad, terrible things are going to happen to us. And I was sitting there thinking, that's fundamentally, that sort of religion, that sort of mindset is no different than the, the strict fundamentalist sort of mindset of your first check has to be your tithe check or you've robbed God and your car is going to break down and all of a sudden you're going to be poor. Like it's the same religion of whatever these pagan Vikings were practicing, you know, 800 years ago. Their God is like super vindictive. Right. And I kind of wish he was more chill. I, you know, it's funny because I just, um, we just did a church service on Sunday or no, two Sundays ago. I missed church last Sunday. I was working. Um, oh my goodness! No, you've—that's not chill, John. No, <laughs> I got—I got a lot of overtime though. So, blessing. So you can make, send more tithes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and you know, the pastor said something along the lines of like, "Don't expect God's protection on your finances if you don't tithe." And All I was right. like, "I—I I don't like that. Like that's no. such manipulation." Right. And I'm like, and I know, you know, they want to make ends meet and he needs to pay his salary. And I, I get that. But I'm like, I, I want to be a cheerful giver. Right. You know, and I don't want to give out of obligation. Right. And I don't even know, like, I, 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 I don't think like that just doesn't sound like the God I know. That's right. like, remember all those times you didn't give 10% of your finances. <laughs> right. You're gonna pay now, <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I've 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 t- I've heard pastors say if you don't give your ten percent now, God's gonna get it from you later when your tires roll off your car and you know your engine block falls out and like so if you don't pay it now, you're just gonna pay it later. I'm like, and that was like I've heard that literally from the pulpit, and I'm like, so much Santa Claus Christianity going yeah. on there, and I'm just like, I'm sorry, like I understand the doctrines that they're trying to preach. But they're going about it entirely the wrong way. And that sort of stuff is just baloney. And I, it's funny because I sit there and I think about all that preaching that I heard, especially back in the day when I was poor um, and didn't have two nickels to run to, rub together. And, I, you know, stuff like that really affected me because I didn't have much money. But now I've been through big, bad banking in my career. And my wife and I live a very comfortable middle class, upper middle class lifestyle and I sit there and think I'm richer than all those people that were giving 10% in that entire congregation right now um, and I don't actively give a fixed 10% or a fixed amount. My wife and I we we systematically give every paycheck to our church but and and other places as well but like I'm not sitting there like nickel and diming is this 10% is it 10% off the gross or 10% off the net you know I'm not yeah. like sitting there like freaking out about these things and and I know some and people I mean- it's life and death for them. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I think there's something about that act of faith, right? Of Absolutely. giving and being and faithful giving. Like, sure. there's there's a blessing that comes with that for totally. sure. And any any act of faith, you know, like I I remember you know going on a mission trip and there were acts of faith where you know it was like, hey, 
I'm going to go talk to that random person and ask them if I can pray with them. And it's like, that's terrifying. But like, <laughs> man, that act of faith feels good when you do it, you right. know? And it's like, it's so cool. So, I mean, like there's all these opportunities, but I think we make the mistake of assuming that God needs us. Right. And um, one of my pastors, you know, years ago, um, he said, uh, God doesn't need you, so he'll never abuse you. Mm. And uh, I, I think about like, you know, when you have like a, a three-year-old kid and you say to them, can you help me sweep the floor? And the three-year-old kid is like so excited to do it. Or, you know, better yet, you got the three-year-old that comes to you and says, hey, daddy, can I help? Can I help sweep the floor? And you're like thinking, I, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> and they're so happy sweeping the floor. And they do such a crappy job, you redo it when they're not looking. <laughs> and that kid feels like, wow, I really helped daddy. <laughs> and I don't wonder if that's what serving is like for God sometimes. Mm. It's like, I don't know how many times, you know, like God asks us to do something and we do it. And he's like, oh, I'm so glad they did it because I could not possibly do this myself. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and so, like, I think that, you know, like, so much of this is, like, these are things we get to do. We're not under, you know, this, like, obligation, and the whole world's going to fall apart if we don't do our role. Hmm. Um, I think it's like God provides us with opportunity, and it's opportunity to be love. Hmm. And, like, for me, this whole spiritual journey is about being molded more so into the image of love. Mm. I like that. I think that could be a great, I know we've never landed on a technical definition, but that's okay for chill. But I like that, <laughs> that, that, you know, this idea of, of love molding us into the image of what God would have us to be in him. Um, mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's where it's at. So let's go ahead and shift a little bit. We've talked about, you know, some loose definitions of chill and concepts of chill. And I think even if we never land on a precise definition, which we probably shouldn't try, because uh, that would not that would not be very chill or cool uh, or hip to do that. But I think we've definitely touched on the spirit of what we're about. So let's go ahead and take the spirit of what we're about now. And let's start with some baby step stuff, uh, some taboo topics, maybe hot button issues um, but let's start with the soft, hot button issues. Maybe some of them are a little hot on Twitter, depending on what day you get on Twitter. Um, but uh, let's 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 go through these, and you give me your uh, feedback on each one. So, yeah. John, does God care that I've watched Harry Potter? Is God chill with that? He's chill with that. God's chill with me no, watching I mean, like, witchcraft. I, I understand, like if you've got like a friend who thinks that. Harry Potter is demonic. It's like, well, maybe don't watch them around him or don't <laughs> tell him about it. Right. Like, you got to like, you got to be careful there because there's a point where you can be flaunting it and you're causing more trouble than you should. Hmm. Yeah. What, is God chill with me using a version of the Bible that's something other than the King James? <laughs> yes, absolutely. But it's the authorized version, John. <laughs> yeah. it, I really, I really think that, like, I really wish I knew the original languages of the yeah. Bible, because I think, I feel like the people that know that, like, are seeing a painting in its original colors. Yeah. Mm. You know, and we're just kind of like looking at, like, 
I don't know, a child's drawing of that painting. <laughs> I, I, that's a pretty good analogy. I've, I've, I learned biblical B- Greek back in the day when I was in seminary. And I since, you know, stopped practicing it because I found every time I translated something, it sounded like the New American Standard Version. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to go to the New American Standard Version. And if I have a question that's technical in nature, I'll consult a commentary and left it at that. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. uh, so my wife and I, she likes to, my wife, likes to listen to pop music she likes to listen particularly to Miley Cyrus singing about the Britney song Britney song being on uh in her car and sometimes I'm riding along with my wife in the car while the Britney song is on um is God chill with that I I really don't think he cares are are you are, are you okay if I li- sing with my wife the Miley Cyrus song and Britney Spears thing? You do you even know the I song I'm talking about? I'd love to hear that, Jimmy. And the Britney song was on. And the Britney song was on. We need to release a Jimmy album. On, uh, <laughs> oh my goodness! This could be a special project. You can put me together with a dope beat, and I can be like saying things really badly. I wouldn't call it singing. Anything. I got like unlimited artist space so Oh man, Fantastic. that'd be hilarious. That'd be hilarious. my my wife would die. My wife would die. <laughs> it, honey, John's gonna re- do a recording with me singing songs. I hope she just heard that. Like, <laughs> oh man, you know the joy—the joy of somebody just singing their heart out, and they're not great at singing. I'm just like, it's just a beautiful thing. Right. It's it is fantastic. I have that inner. I have that inner song. It doesn't come out pretty, but I do have that inner song. I think you know that I have that inner song. Um, you know, you got it. So my wife sometimes wears stretchy pants. Is that okay? Should I should I bring her before the church elders? I I think yoga pants are great. <laughs> <laughs> and I honestly like I don't understand why people are so hung up about them. I like, see it on I, Twitter. I, I was like, is that really a thing? I'm going to say, personally, a dress is worse. Because <laughs> I'm always like, what's under that? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I shouldn't be thinking that. Oh, Which, I mean, I don't, like, I'm not going to say that every time I see a woman dress, I, I, I think that. But um, All right. let's just say, yeah, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I think sometimes I see people wearing stretchy pants, and I'm like, honey, no. <laughs> I, you know what, though, honestly, people who have a less than optimal figure, I'm like, you rock that. That's awesome. Right. Absolutely. I'm like, you, you do you. And and so, so starting next week, when I go to the beach, I'm going to do, uh, like Apollo Creed did with his midriff and his short shorts. And I'm going to go running on the beach. Uh, no. (laughs) Like, like Kevin in his short shorts. Right. (laughs) I forgot about He's like, I'm thinking of getting these short shorts. I'm like, do it, Kevin. Gosh, I remember that. Nobody knows who Kevin is except you and me. Maybe we can get Kevin to listen to the podcast. But anyway, so what happens if I wear stretchy pants, John? Is God chill with men wearing stretchy pants? I know in Nacho Libre, he said, it's sometimes men wear stretchy pants. Is that that true? Is is God okay with that? I, I don't see why God would have a problem with men in stretchy pants either. But really? I mean, really? Can you say that with a straight face? No. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. I think men in stretchy pants is really funny. I, I don't see why God wouldn't find that funny, too. I mean, it worked for Nacho Libre, so why not? Okay. 
So, uh, if, if, and Jack Black is my spirit animal, by the way. So, like, like there's a part of me that just totally identifies with Jack Black. Like, I'm like, I look at him and it's like, finally, a man I get, you know? <laughs> well, I, I almost want to say to people, too, it's like, your God may have a problem with stretchy pants, but mine doesn't. He's pretty chill about it. Nice. Okay. <laughs> So we, we've done the soft stuff. So now let's kind of get into some of the heavier stuff. And some of these things we're probably going to disagree a little bit on, I think, just from reading through some of the, the notes we kind of banged out. And maybe I, or I just misunderstood some of the things you were after when, you, when we put these notes together yesterday. <laughs> um, <laughs> did it really short. But let's get into some, uh, some difficult stuff. So what about eternal conscious torment and... How do you feel about eternal conscious torment? Is is God going to send people to hell because they had a terrible thought to suffer? Well, forever see, I, I, I think if eternal conscious torment does exist, I doubt it's based on a minor technicality. Mm. I think it would be based on somebody who is quite insistent of not being molded into the image of love. Mm. I, I think it would be somebody who is always striving to do the opposite. Right. And so, um, like, I, I don't really, like, I don't need hell to exist to be a believer. Right. It seems like a lot of believers do. Hmm. Um, it's, it's crazy to me, like, this concept that a soul is eternal, whether they are in Christ or not. And so, like, this, like, okay, well, I'm going to make human beings eternal so that they can either be eternal bliss or eternal conscious torment. So I, I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, I know that there's lots of different views on this. Right. Um, I don't know. I feel like I, I'd love universalism to be true. Right. But I, I don't know if it is. Um, Annihilationism is kind of interesting because it doesn't have that. Like, it has conditional mortality, mm. which I think, like, theoretically makes more sense to me. Okay. But I'm like, I don't know. There's like, I think there's still a reason why people are clinging to eternal conscious torment. Sure. Because there is some indication of suffering in the Bible for people that are not believers. Right. Yeah, so. I, I definitely fall into that camp, but, uh, you know, like, I would like if Rob Bell was right, you know. Yeah. And maybe he is. Everybody gets can a I, ribbon. Can I say that? Can Can I say maybe Rob Bell's right? I don't think he is, but can I, is it wrong for me just to wish that maybe Rob Bell was right? It, yeah, well, I, you know, and that that's the thing, like, I just like, I, yeah, the chill God. It doesn't fit with the chill God to have eternal conscious torment. Right. Although I know that the chill God really turns on people who take advantage of other people. Sure. So that makes a lot more sense to me than like a technicality. You stubbed your toe and said a swear word and ended up in hell <laughs> as you were. You saw that hot nurse right before you died. Right. Like, Stroke of well, you know, I, th luck. I think that kind of goes back to Jim's quote, uh, Jim Mead's quote at the beginning about you know, God's love was chilled towards those who are marginalized, um, and you know, people needing His love, but it's the opposite of chill for those who weren't so oriented in their hearts. Um, and I, I can definitely see that 
you know, the Apostle Paul talks about the kindness and severity of God. Um, and I definitely can see, you know, where, um, you know, it's kind of like uh, relationships, you know, you should have a healthy jealousy if, you know, your wife makes a move on another man, you know, um, that, that should bother you, you know, things like that should bother you and they should require your immediate strong focused attention. Um, you know, and, but that's because you have a love there that, you know, you realize is bigger than the scenario. Yeah. And I, I guess like the other thing too, about like God being chill, I I feel like there's a lot of people that grow up in a religious household and they're constantly worried about doing everything right and doing the will of God constantly. Right. And I'm just like, yeah, I just don't think he's that hung up on every little thing you do. Right. I think, you know, sometimes he's like, you know, hey, you can take the car or the motorcycle for a spin. Like, I don't care. <laughs> but, but, but which one am I supposed to take? Whichever one you want to take more. Mm. Like, just do it, you know? Right. And, and so I, I think that like a lot of times we overcomplicate things and we're asking God, you know, like which job should I take? And I honestly think that like God would have been cool with you staying at the big back bank or sure. going to the small nasty bank. <laughs> so nasty. Well, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, I need to come up with another acronym for that. Big Bad Bank was fun, but, uh, I don't know, maybe the, maybe the peeps that follow me and listen to me, Jim, email me, jimmy at jimmystable.com if you can think of something, uh, for a small mortgage company guy now, because I'm not at the Big Bad Bank anymore. But anyway, um, but yeah, I think, you know, like, I can remember hearing so many preaching over the years of, you know, people talking about how they sin a thousand times a day. And thought indeed. And I'm like, like, not to sound, you know, crass, but what the hell? I mean, like, like you don't need Jesus. You need a therapist and some drugs. Like if you're, you're sinning a thousand times a day, like, I don't like how, how's that even, I mean, like maybe Hitler did, but like maybe some lesser people than Hitler have for sure. But like a thousand times, like. Like no, I'm sorry. Like I, I'm, I can't think of too many times where I sin like a thousand times a day. If he, I don't even think I, I can think of one time in my life where I've sinned a thousand times a day. And some people feel like if you don't confess that, like, well, you should be constantly, like, you should constantly I be struggling. I totally with believe sin. that yeah. as a, you know, as a kid. Yeah, like, that I had to confess it, or I was going to hell. Right. Like, and it's like it's just so much to put on a person. And, it really is. It's like I was just looking at my Twitter feed to see how many times I've sinned. Um, <laughs> I did make fun of a guy's name that sounded, you know, quite sexual. Oh. So, mm. Sinners in the hands of a hangry God. That's pretty funny. <laughs> I don't know. Sinners in the hands. I don't know if that's hangry. sinful. That, right. Is, yeah. But I want to give him a big Snickers. But to me, it's like when people get into that mentality of like, I've sinned a thousand times a day. I'm like, whoa you were really overthinking this. Um, like the Bible only lists 613 possible commandments in the Old Testament. You know, you could argue maybe the New Testament adds a couple, takes a couple away, whatever. But no. That means he broke most of them twice. Right. 
<laughs> like, like what? Like, no, you, bro. If like you're sitting a thousand times a day, like, I'm sorry. Like, you, the, there's something so. If you think you're sitting that many times a day, there's something fundamentally wrong with the way you think about the entire universe. I don't even know if I can begin to tell you about Jesus because. That's I honestly just don't dwell on how sinful I am. And I kind of like think like wretched man that of, you are. Well, it's like it's like your uh, car GPS. Right. You know? And your car GPS is like turn right here and you miss the turn and the car GPS isn't like, "Hey, hey, you were supposed to turn right back there." Right. And start swearing at you. Right. No, it, it it's recalculating. just recalculating. Like, All right. Yeah, recalculating. And I, I think that's what it is, is, is sin. You know, the moment that you sin, the moment that you make a misstep, it's like, I mean, obviously ask for forgiveness, but right. it's like now we're recalculating. Right. And we're going to move on, right? Right. Now, I mean, that's different when you actually sin, be, you know, against a brother or a sister because you need to figure out what you can do to make it right with that person. Right. Because that is being molded into the image of love, right? Mm. And it's like, I want to get better at being love to my partner here, sure. right? And so I'm going to apologize and I'm going to see what I can do to make it better. Right. But I mean, that's also a course correction again, right? right? And sometimes, sometimes people are not going to forgive you right away. Sure. I mean, like if you're like Mark Driscoll, people are <laughs> not going to forgive you right away. <laughs> Good old Marky Mark. I, okay, this blows my mind. Like, I actually, I made a joke about Mark Driscoll today. Um, it was something about, like, maybe I shouldn't have based my whole masculinity on Mark Driscoll. <laughs> and, 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 and there was a um, Twitter account that followed me. And it's, like, basically a Twitter account that's, like, an advocacy for the victims mm. of his new church. Interesting. And it just, it blows my mind that there were people in Phoenix that saw that what went down in Mars Hill and were like, oh, okay, but, but he's, he's said it, he's, he's, you know, asked for forgiveness and everything. And so let's, let's, uh, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know what the thinking is, you know, when people get plugged into this new church and I, not to victim blame, right. But I'm just like, that just, that's just so weird to me. I think, you know, I probably would attend the church just out of curiosity, and maybe that's what happened. <laughs> it could so be. Like, maybe you? they thought, hey, maybe this isn't such a bad place, and maybe whatever happened in uh, Seattle was a little overblown, and maybe there was too much hype, and maybe the stories weren't true. And then they joined and thought, hey, this is a pretty good church. We really enjoy his preaching, and, and everybody's so nice here. And, of course, there are just the random yokels that showed up that never heard of him. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm sure most of the people already knew who he was when they yeah. entered there. Yeah. I mean, it's so, so sad and it's just, I, I don't, yeah, it, it doesn't have to be this way. Right. And I mean, like, I think, I don't think, um, Driscoll was preaching a chill God. Right. And it's incredible to me too, like to see a lot of these crass people, you know, who like crass people. Right. It's like a lot of these people that, you know, have supported the former president who was very crass and people were like, oh, you just don't like to use his mean words. Get over it or whatever. Um, It's interesting hearing about some of the behind the scenes stuff that goes on, you know, with like a Franklin Graham or, you know, a uh, Jerry 
Falwell. No, Jerry. Jerry Falwell Jr. Jerry right? Garcia. No. And like when you hear about all the nastiness, right. it's like, oh, well, that makes sense. I mean, they really like this guy that's nasty, and they're kind of patterning their life after it. And it's this kind of like it's the John Wayne Christianity, right? right? It's like just just tell it like it is because that's what America is, and it's like sure, yeah, but it's not necessarily what Jesus is, and it's it's not chill at all, Jimmy. I don't like it. So what about speaking of Mark Driscoll with his uh, all his uh, gender stuff and views on women and stuff? How does yeah. you know to get into another topic of? women in ministry i mean a lot of that's a pretty hot topic it's definitely uh rocked the twitterverse quite a bit it's definitely a popular topic on social media and a lot of circles um you know how chill is god about beth moore <laughs> not to be controversial there's no doubt in my mind that god loves beth moore oh man i love beth i moore. i i don't know how anybody hates her she's so I, nice yeah, and so I mean, like it's it's so ridiculous. As soon as you put a woman with any sort of voice, people want to write her off, and it's it's incredible. Because I mean, you compare her to Mark Driscoll, right? I mean, there's no comparison, right? right. Like a Mark Driscoll like is saying stuff to make people irate. Beth Moore, it's like if she's gonna say something that make people irate. She is choosing her words very carefully. Like, you can see that. Right. <laughs> and she's saying something that's like, you better listen, right? And so I I think, you know, somebody who maybe would rub people more so the wrong way is someone like Jory Micah. And I, I, I remember I followed her for a bit, and then I'm like, okay, this is too much. This is too much. And I unfollowed her. Right. But I saw enough of her posts to like some of them, the better ones, right? Right. And then I started following her again, and now now I'm okay with her again. Well, it's funny because I see people make such a big deal about Beth Moore. But then you, uh -huh. ha like, then you have somebody like, I don't know if you're familiar with her, um, but uh, she's a quadriplegic, um, Joni Erickson Tata. Um, she's written. Oh, a, yeah, yeah. She's written a lot of books about suffering, um, uh, and she ministers a lot on the issues of suffering, especially as a quadriplegic yeah. individual. Yeah. Um, and it's almost kind of like she runs in a lot of those kind of same circles. From what I understand, I'm not an expert on her, but you know, she's. Re I believe she's reformed. She's very into that crowd, and it's almost kind of like they give Joni Erickson Tata a pass on, you know, issues of relating to ministry with women um, whenever she speaks. Because I've definitely heard her plugged by guys who would probably shrill over Beth Moore. And it's just kind of interesting well, to see what they're willing to get away, who they're allowing to fill in those roles and when. I wonder how much of this has to do with Beth Moore speaking out against the former president. I don't know. I think, I think Beth Moore kind of had a lot of hatred towards her i guess before even trump was even a thing um you know i was i was certainly aware of her and the you know the chill the 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 hatred people had towards her i think you know some of her speaking out against trump definitely made her platform a little bit more you know of a, a target um 
Well, she's spoken out quite a bit about church too, as well, right? Sure. And her experience with that, and so, and I, it's it's um it's pretty crazy how you know there's kind of two sides to this. There's either believe all women, or there's like I'm suspicious of all women, <laughs> and it's like it, it's so crazy because it's like these women are trying to take down men in power, right? right? And it's like okay, well, if you're gonna push that narrative. We're never going to fix this issue, right? Because we're gonna we're gonna you know force people into silence, and sure. it's like we don't want silence about abuse, right? And I mean, I don't like okay. My my take on abuse is, you know, the victim is innocent until proven guilty, sure, and so is the perpetrator. Mm, that's a good perspective. But I, I do think, though, like you, if a person says, I didn't do this, it's like, okay, well, you need to have your time in court. Um, you're going to need to step down while we sort this out. Right. Like, you cannot keep somebody who's suspected of abuse in right. the same position. Sure. Right. And so I, I think that should be the process with it. And, but it's, it's so difficult because I think a lot of times two people look at it and say, they're ruining this man's life. And it's like, okay, so if Ravi Zacharias, if his um, allegations came to light and he got taken out of his position, you know, of ministry, would his life have been ruined? Would he have died, hmm. you know, in poverty? I think he would have been okay. Yeah. And like this idea that these kinds of allegations ruin a person's life. And I, you know, I know of allegations that ruin a college student's life. Sure. I think that's very different. He didn't have a whole lot of power and all that, right? But I'm like, I, I don't think that false allegations are common enough that we need to really make it difficult for these women to come forward. Right. And men, men that are abused. I think sure. that's something that is totally forgotten. Yeah, it's it's pretty rare. Like I I don't know about you, but I've never been accused of rape or anything like that. Like neither. I mean, and I'm I, not gonna I say. Hope, I'm not gonna say I it hasn't. I live a life too. Yeah. That makes it like impossible. Like somebody sure. would look and say, "There's no way John right. would do something like right. that." No way. Not not him. Um, but yeah. Um, so I don't know how this relates back to our issue of of uh, <laughs> women in ministry. Um, other than perhaps, um, it's just interesting to see how, you know, we give women a voice in certain times, you know, maybe we give them a voice when they need to speak up about sexual abuse, or maybe sometimes we just clamp down, but it definitely seems like, you know, we, like women were willing to pivot with them on whether or not they're going to be able to speak or not. Um, whether it's about abuse or whether it's about speaking while in church, um, yeah. or it's well, like, I, I think that this is another one of those technicalities that I just, yeah. my God's just not that technical. Right. And I'm like, I mean, maybe, maybe, you know, these people that are super strict about it, just serve a God that's more technical. Right. Cause mine is just like, Hey, wow. That woman really preached this Sunday. And I'm like, right. yes, she did. Right. She was great. One of my favorite preachers is Jessica DeSabatino mm -hmm. from Calgary. And she's phenomenal. And she's co-lead pastor with her husband. Mm. And I'm like, I'm glad that Jess is allowed to preach. Good. 
and it's it's benefited me greatly. And so, yeah, if people want to say she shouldn't be preaching, I just like, I don't like your God. I like mine better. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's like it's it's an issue I've struggled with though, because I mean, I think you could agree that there seem to be passages in the Bible that definitely seem to put a cap on women's involvement in church and ministry and speaking functions and stuff like that. But at the same time, I've observed there are verses where women are speaking and ministering in church and how you reconcile those. I'm not 100% sure. I know I've tried, especially as somebody who was once engaged to a former uh, formerly to somebody that was a female and a minister. Or, she's still female. Uh, but uh, I was formerly engaged to somebody uh, that was a female and pursuing ministry. And so I definitely had to wrestle with that because I came from an older school which said women should never speak um, in church. But uh, so I, I'm, I'm willing to say that, you know, I could be wrong about some of the restrictions that maybe I would feel in my heart that would, you know, probably label me more as a complementarian than egalitarian um, for things. But at the same time, if I come across a female pastor or a female preacher, I'm not going to make a big deal about it because, I mean, God's chill, right? Um, and even if, <laughs> even if maybe they are violating some technicality, and I know some dudes who harp, on this issue. Like to them, if a woman can preach, that's just the gateway drug to homosexuality right there. Like, like you are going to be, you know, gay affirming in just a matter of weeks. Um, and because that's the slippery slope that takes, you know, egalitarianism is the slippery slope to homosexuality. Uh, sort of perspective. Oh, we, don't, we don't want that. Uh, I mean, that, like, that. Why would we want gay people in our church? <laughs> and, I mean, I, I heard the most, amazing story about this man who um he like it was well i don't know it was it was eye-opening to hear this story you know about a guy who um was gay mm -hmm. and you know the whole time in his life up until you know adulthood all those natural urges you know that we as adolescents would have been like oh okay all right, all right well i'm not allowed to i'm not allowed to jump on this yet i'm not allowed to act on this yet Right. He was told he could never act on those natural impulses that all of us, you know, were like waiting for marriage to act on. Sure. And um, so he ended up, you know, working in the church. You know, he was he was um, one of the one of the leaders of the church and all this stuff. And then um, he started dating a man. Hmm. And they said, OK, well, you're not allowed to take communion. You're not allowed to be a leader in the church and all this stuff. And then and then he broke up. He broke up with this man hmm. and they're like, oh, oh, you can be a leader now. Oh, you can take communion now. Oh, we're going to take you around and we're going to have you speak to a bunch of people about what it's like to be gay and celibate and basically made him like this symbol. Right. Hmm. And there was a point where he's just like, you know what? I'm done. Hmm. And like to this day, you know, this this young man now, he he uh, he's dating another man. Um, he's a, his his boyfriend's a Christian and he's conservative. Like his, his theology is conservative, but he's trying to find a church that he can attend because he doesn't want to go to a liberal church, mm. but it's like, there's this one thing. Right. Interesting. And, but the whole time he's telling this story, I'm just like, that sounds an awful lot like conditional love. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't, I don't understand why there has to be conditional love for this person. 
And even, you know, like, I don't even want to say that I want him to have unconditional love. Because, like, to me, unconditional love is, look, you screwed up, but I love you anyways. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't think he screwed up. And I'm, I'm not sure where I'm at with this theologically. Yeah. But I'm like, this is who he is. And I mean, like, you can, you can talk to him and say, well, biblically, this is not who you are. And it's like, okay, thank you. Yeah, I'm going to repent now, and now I'm not going to be gay anymore. Like, it's, <laughs> that's not how it works, right? Sure. And so it's, it's a hard, hard issue to deal with. But I would rather leave it between him and God rather than me trying to impose who I think he should be. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know who he should be. I just hope he's happy, whatever he is. And I hope that, you know, God can love him. Because I, I, I think, you know, like, if I can look at him and say, you know, I don't understand this. I don't understand why, you know, you would be with another dude. Like, that just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> but, like, I don't care. Like, that doesn't matter. We're going to be friends. Right. And you know what? I want to know more about your story. It's so interesting to me. Because you're a very loving, compassionate person. And I feel like you've been super mistreated. And somehow you still want to know Jesus. And that's amazing to me. Right. And if I have that kind of grace, if I have that kind of love for him, it's like, you think God has any less love for him, right? Like, mm. it th- doesn't make sense to me. And it's like, well, technically, technically you were married to a man. So eternal conscious torment for you. He's like the soup Nazi. I used to right? listen, I used to listen to this one radio host who was like, you know, when it comes to homosexuality, he's like, I don't understand being gay. He's like, I've looked in the mirror and I've never seen anything there that I wanted. He's like, but on a woman, on the other hand, I get why women are attracted to women. No. <laughs> oh, totally. Totally. I, yeah. And he was being funny, of course, and I, I hope that does, that joke doesn't offend people. I I, I try to tell it nicely. Um, but, uh, he's like, so he's like, he's like, I don't get gays. He's like, lesbians on the other hand. Um, <laughs> like, can you imagine doing a whole podcast episode with a gay guy and just like, right. But why? Right. Like, like how, how do you like, that, how? no, it's like that episode. It's like that episode in the office where Michael confronts Oscar and he's like, I just don't get how you can do that thing with a dude. <laughs> like, you know. dude it's like, it's like black licorice, man. <laughs> My but wife like, how loves do people, black licorice. How do people eat black licorice we, on purpose? We, we import... <laughs> we import black licorice from Holland in this house by the box. Because oh. your wife is Dutch? She's her family. She, well, she's technically she was born this way. She was born this mm. way. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I think when it comes to the issue of homosexuality, like, you know, I I do believe you know, it is a sin. But I think that when it comes to dealing with it, like we deal with it in a very non-chill way. And like when you talk about just like everybody confronting this guy, it's like, oh, nope, nope, you got to go. Like I've known a couple people that have, you know, had their walk with Jesus and dealt with homosexuality. Some have dealt with it in a good way. Some have dealt with it in a way that I don't think was good. But I have known two people, um, one of them I briefly dated, um, who struggled with homosexual issues in their life. Um, and they said, you know what, um, changed me in regard to all that and their life was the people in the church that I was at, they loved me with the love of Jesus. And it was that love 
that caused me to go on a different journey than what I felt like I should follow with just my natural impulses. Um, and one of them remained celibate and single. Uh, and this, this is one girl that I went out with. She has like five kids um, and she's married to somebody else. Um, so, you know, but I think, you know, that the, the experience people have in that can be also be very traumatic because sometimes it's like, nope, nope. The rule says right here that you should not put that part in another part, you know, and, and, and those parts don't go. Like, I remember this very crude street <laughs> preacher um, who used to come to UNC Charlotte. His name was Preacher Gary. Um, and Preacher Gary would sit there and talk about homosexuality because it always stirred up a crowd. And he was just like, he's like, have you ever seen the tailpipe on a motorcycle? He's like, well, you don't stick a potato in it. And uh, like that was his, like that was his thing about how he would preach about homosexuality. And I'm like, dude, man, like, I'll, I'll never look at a motorcycle the same way, man. <laughs> <laughs> and and he's, I, you know, it's just the amount of hate is right. just driving me up the wall. Right. And I'm just like, this is so off base. No fruits of the spirit there. Right. And and so, I mean, like, you could call it cheap grace. Right. I'm okay with that. But I'm like, I'm just not going to worry about what these dudes are doing. Right. Or what these ladies are doing. I'm like, I just want to know them as people and love them. Right. And I'm like, personally, I'm still at this point where I'm like, if I was gay, I don't know what I would do with it. Right. I don't know personally what decision I would make. I'd like to think I'd stay celibate, but I don't know that. Sure. And it's a lot for me to put on someone else to be like, well, you just got to stay celibate. Easy right. peasy. Right. And I know people who are, you know, currently celibate and straight. Right. And they're like, well, I do it. And I'm like, yeah, but you're not told you have to do it for the rest of your right. life. <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't know. Right. So, well, I, I mean, like, I so not, I, I can't say that I'm fully affirming because I'm like I'm not. It's not like I recommend right. gay sex. Right. I feel like affirming would mean <laughs> I recommend gay sex. Uh, right. And I'm like I, I would be. Your you wife know, might if, be concerned. <laughs> yeah, like if two dudes like or two ladies are gonna get married, I would support them. Mm -hmm. um, if two dudes or if this, if a dude or a lady decided to stay celibate. I totally support that too, right? I, I just, I don't, I, I feel like there's other issues we need to work at as a church. Right. And I think like abuse, like we've been so wrapped up in this idea of covenant and the right covenant yeah. that it's a man and a woman. And it's like, okay, but what about consent? Because our whole world is talking about consent as the highest you know, value in sexuality. Mm -hmm. And the church is like, Forget consent. <laughs> right. Covenant is everything. And then once once you're married, you can abuse as much as you want, right? Like, and it's like, <laughs> that's so whack. Like, I'm like, we right. can start with consent. And ideal, I think, is consent within covenant. Yeah. But as I said on that podcast episode, and this just dawned upon me, and I, I don't know where it came from so let's say it was the chill one that brought it um but uh i i said uh co covenant without consent is slavery 
And I legit didn't know what that meant until after I said it. Hmm. And I'm like, so I think the church is so hung up on technicalities and hung up on covenant, hung up on saying, God has put these people in your life and you have to do what they say. You have to do what your husband says. You right. have to do what your pastor says. But what that ends up being is because there's no consent anymore with anything, it's slavery. Right. And I'm like, I don't believe in slavery. I don't believe we should be slaves. Mm. And so I, I think, you know, like, if you're going to be hung up on the covenant of gay people, but you're going to allow people like Bill Gothard to abuse people or the Mike Drisc Mark Driscolls or, I mean, there's so much abuse that's so rampant in these so-called Bible-believing churches. Right. I'm very suspicious of their God because it's not the God I serve. Right. Hmm. That's a that's a strong point. That's a strong point. I think I think people would do well to really consider that. It's, it's good. I have to chew on that. I think I th I think I think a lot of that though is is just how we approach sexuality mm. in general. Like we approach it in very technical terms, and, and we do this even in the secular world. And, and, but we're also yeah. guilty of it in the church. Like you know, in in the in the secular world, they want to reduce sexual function to. Uh, biological urges and like here's how you put the condom on the banana and here's you know your birth control and and like and, you know the, the very the science the facts the birds the bees you know how all the parts work what part goes where and and well there's uh, terms for everything right. too right what kind of sexuality you want right. everything one of my and, favorite things science mike says is uh he says in the animal kingdom there's no sexuality I mean, like, look at your dog. He's like, when I rub this, it feels good. And I'm like, I feel like humans are just made this so complicated. But it's like, but even, even the church, you know, we get into that with the technicalities. I think that's a lot of what the, the purity culture ultimately kind of even took from the world is the technicalities associated with sex. We're like, okay, the world has its technical views of sex, so... This is how we're going to define it. And so it's going to be one man, one woman of certain ages, of certain relationships. And they can kiss here. They can hold hands here. Uh, they can d maybe dance or maybe not dance. Uh, but if, if they make room for the Holy Ghost, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, and they're like, and, and so you have the entire Josh Harris phenomenon um, where, you know, well, you had to go and get the father's blessing to even go take the girl on the date. And if the, if the girl didn't have a father, you had to ask her pastor. And, you know, so you yeah. had all this, this very, you know, programmed dance and technical approach to, uh, dating, uh, biblical relationships, sexuality, marriage, you know, uh, sexual sins and all that sort of stuff. I mean, to the point where people were handing out purity rings and mo dads were having purity balls for their daughters where they pledged, you know, their virginity to, I don't know, did they pledge their virginity to their father? I feel like they did. Uh, and so like, Which is really weird. Yeah, like, like, but they would have these really weird things where they were doing these weird rituals and they were doing in the name of Jesus 
And I'm kind of like, okay, I get where the Bible calls me to be a eunuch for Christ's sake. I get where the Bible tells me not to lust. I get where the Bible tells me not to fornicate and, and stuff like that. But like, y'all are putting so many rules around the rules, around the rules, that like, I don't even know if I could, I, you can't even wear, you can't even go in the swimming pool with somebody of the opposite sex because that could be bad. You know, and yeah, so only only going to pool with other men, right? And yeah, <laughs> which is not gay at all, or, or a hot sauna, right? Where we all stand around with towels or not towels, you know? Uh, or, Sorry, or, or your your phrase, uh, "be a eunuch for Christ's sake." Yes, you say it the wrong way. It sounds like you're using the Lord's name in vain. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about yeah, it like a eunuch that. For, no, all right, Thanks. but but you know, so we have like we have this you know, these sort of strange sexual ethics that we even create around the sexual ethics. Um, and the, these purity things become these strict legalisms. Um, and I think it ends up making us just, in the church, bat crap crazy. Um, and it's kind of like it almost starts programming guys to start only looking at a woman as a sexual release. Um, totally. And totally. I think that's damaging because work through so much of that. And don't get me wrong, like sex is an important part of the marriage. And, you know, I, I don't think anybody would be amiss to say they enjoy it. Um, or hopefully they do. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like sex is not the end all be all of, of marriage. There's something much, it's an intimate part and an expression of romantic love within marriage. Um, it's a way of, of creating, you know, children and procreating and filling the earth and all that fun stuff. Um, but, uh, I think we get so hung up on it and, you know, it was always promised to me that, well, if you follow all these 10,000 Josh Harris rules and I kiss dating goodbye, then you're just going to have the hottest, best sex you're ever going to have when you get married. And it's just going to be mind blowing, you know, it's going to put the pornographers to shame sort of level of ecstasy that you're going to have. And we need to measure that with the orgasmator. <laughs> right. And like, what's the metric for this? It's ridiculous. Right. And, and it becomes, it, it turns sex promises. In, like, right. we don't know. We right. don't know. And, you know, like, chances are the sex wasn't better for virgins. Right. They had no practice. Right. <laughs> right. And so, <laughs> but. I would say bringing less emotional baggage right. into your long-term relationship has to be better. Yeah. So if you're concerned more so about the most emotional part of your marriage, I, I would recommend that. And I think, you know, like, it's like, okay, sex needs to be consensual and it's like, it's better within covenant. Yeah. You know, we have that connection. We're making that connection, and it's in covenant. I'm mean, like, that's the ideal. But I, I think for, you know, when we talk about a lot of the stuff that happened historically within, you know, Christian culture, there was a lot of whether you want it or not, your husband's going to come home, and you need to make him feel like a man. Right. And it's like, that's so evil. Totally. And it's like, it's not, it's not a mutual expression of love. And I'm like, that's something that I think the world sees in Christianity and they hate it. And I hate it too. I'm like, that's dumb. Like, I, I think that 
we need to understand consent in the church. And covenant? Absolutely preach covenant, but let's start sure. with consent. I And I think, you know, with that, like, when you have that philosophy that you, you talk about that, you know, and it's it's in that book, Jesus and John Wayne, um, and we won't get into much into that book. That's another podcast. You have a podcast about that over at uh, Wax Museum with some stuff on that book. Highly recommend it. I'm sure it's good. The uh, waxmuseum.org. Yeah, the waxmuseum.org. Conversations that need to be had. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I think when you get into that, like the, that mentality that we saw, you know, kind of entering into evangelical culture when it came about, you know, wives, you have to please your husbands and, you're, you know, you need to always make yourself sexually available for your husbands. And it doesn't matter if you had three kids in your arms today and you're exhausted from cleaning uh, the house and making him dinner and stuff. You know, you still need to step up and, and give him a show. Um, and, you know, and then it's kind of like, you know, then the aspect of, you know, telling, you know, horny teenagers that, you know, if they wait till they're 30 to have sex, it's going to be the best sex ever. Um, it's like it all that boils down to performance sort of mentality about sex and it turns it into some pornographic freak show. And I don't think that is healthy, um, when it comes to a Christian sexual ethic. Well, and I, I don't know how intense it was for women being raised in Canada, but it seems like in the United States, there were some really hardcore places where they put so much shame on women for causing men to fall. Hmm. And um, so I I think that was an aspect of purity culture that is so messed up because I, I know for me, you know, within purity culture, I did not blame women for my failing. Yeah. But I think a lot of guys were raised with kind of a boys will be boys mentality. And it's like, and that's not love. Like all of that is devoid of love. It's devoid of the fruits of the spirit. So it's like, how can any of this be Christianity? It doesn't make sense. Right. And so our culture, you know, Christian culture had such an influence, you know, by this fear of homosexuality, this fear of promiscuity. There was all this fear that kind of drove this, all these technicalities. Right. And I'm like, these technicalities are stopping us from being able to exhibit the fruits of the spirit. Sure. So I'm like, can we, can we let go of these technicalities? And, you know, like still, I'm not saying throw covenant out the window. Sure. But I'm saying, let's see it for what it is. Maybe covenant is kind of like the Sabbath. The covenant was made for man, not the man for covenant. Mm. That's good. I think, I think, though, with all this also, that with all these technicalities we make about these things, is that our technicalities make it impossible sometimes for people to truly journey with Jesus and for Jesus to meet them where they're at. And so they do the, the, this deviant sexual act that they think is unforgivable or, you know, just rids them with guilt or something and be like, Oh man, you know, I was committed to my purity culture and I had the ring, but Oh my goodness, you know, 
me and my girlfriend, we got a little too frisky one night, and now I'm ruined, mm-hmm. and now my future mm-hmm. spouse is going to look down on me because I didn't have that, you know, I didn't save mm-hmm. myself for marriage or whatever. And so we make it impossible for people to journey with Jesus where they're at and and for them to find grace for the rest of their lives because now it's like, oops, you, you've probably heard the analogy of look at this clean glass, this clean glass of water. And what would you do if all of a sudden there was dirt in this water? Just just a little bit of dirt in this water. Well, that's how you're going to be to your spouse um, if you don't save yourself for marriage. Is you're going to be like this dirty glass of water. We love dirty. No. Dirty uh, glass of water. I'm going <laughs> to pour you in the toilet. Right. And yeah. nobody that's, wants to be with that. And it's like, that's, you know, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is to give a pass uh, people who are fornicating or having sex outside of marriage or, or any of that sort of stuff. But we make it impossible for the grace of God to abound where sin has abounded. You know, if grace is supposed to much more abound where sin has abound, we're making it really hard to do that. Um, and I think it kind of goes back to the idea of you've, talked about at the beginning of the podcast and we've been talking about today maybe god is kind of chill mm-hmm. um because i think you know when we make god about the technicalities all the time and that's to say there aren't some technicalities about things regarding god sure but i think you know we major on the technicalities instead of the that loving spirit of grace that you know helps us to walk in the ways of love um and conforms us to the image of love I think you said that, right? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Something like that. Yeah, and I, I'm just, I look at any theology, and I'm like, is this, is this moving me in the direction of love, or right. am I using this to justify my hate? Right. But you know? you're... And it's like my, my hatred of that group of people, you know, my hatred of those socialists that are trying to take over our country. <laughs> And it's like, what is what does love look like here? And you know, I honestly, I look at even like you know, look at politics. I'm like, I think God's pretty chill about capitalism or socialism. Right. It's like whatever works for you, humans. And we need to work it out. Sure. And we need to stop hating each other over this, and just like actually hash things out and talk to each other like human beings right. and stop seeing each other as the principality that we're battling against mm. because our battle is not against flesh and blood. Mm. And I think, you know, what's amazing to me is through conversation, you know, I've realized that there's so many commonalities between us. We just don't agree on how to go about things. Right. And if we can actually stop labeling each other and just actually sit down and break bread together and, and talk about, you know, what, what are our hopes? What do we want to see? Because we all want to get closer to love. There's very few people. I would say 5% of the people I have met are not trying to get closer to love. Hmm. And I'm talking about people of all walks of life. I could sit down with my atheist friend and say, do you think love is a good thing? And they're like, yeah. Okay, let's pursue love together. <laughs> and I think we could all get on the same page if we could actually admit that we want love. Problem is, within Christian circles, I keep hearing love is not enough. Mm-hmm. 
And you know why? I know why they're saying it. Because they're scared that means that I'm going to be okay with gay people. <laughs> you can't. You know it, right? You know it. It's the true. moment it's someone true. says, not just love, right. justice too. We have to do the glory of God. It's all for the yeah. glory of God. So I'm going to hate you for the glory of God in Jesus' name. And, I, and that's, where, <laughs> that's where the conversation stops right. every time. And it's like, we can't get past this. And so I'm just kind of like, it's, you got this fear that love is going to make you okay with gay people. This is the mountain we're going to die on. Mm. And this is why we're going to lose a whole generation. Mm. And it's like, I, I don't think it's worth it, guys. Like, I'm like, whatever. Like, let God deal with whatever sex stuff people are doing. And let's just love people and accept them. And break bread together and talk about what's the way forward? How do we pursue love together? John, I love you, man. <laughs> I love you too, man. <laughs> Just like the beer commercial used to say. Well, John, it's been great having you on the show. I'm so thrilled you came on. It was kind of a last minute idea of actually... I'm actually going to have a lot of things happening over the next couple of weeks. And I, I was like, man, I need to fill up some shows and plan some shows ahead of time. And I was like, I know who I can have a great conversation with. John Howie, you didn't disappoint. Hit some home <laughs> runs today. Always a good time. And, you know, my wife had act, my wife has actually been asking, you know, you haven't talked to your friend John in a while. Are you guys, is everything okay? Like, she's even been asking about you because she's like, where's John been? So... <laughs> Uh, you know, I was like, well, John's been busy. I've been busy and he's got a lot going on in his life. And I know he's been dealing with his kids and, you know, work and, and he's a busy man. So he's like, he's not even had much time for his own podcast. So, yeah. uh, so John, how can people reach you? Uh, follow me on Twitter at bridge live what it's bridge living water. So B R I D G E. L-I-V-W-A-T. You can follow me on Twitter with that handle. Um, you can also find that on Facebook. That's my Facebook page, too. And uh, Instagram, same. Nice. Well, John, thank you again for coming on today's show. It's been a joy having you. Everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, Jimmy'sTable.com, episode 110. My God is pretty chill. I hope that John and I have given you something to think about uh, in regard to this topic. And if you have thought about something regarding this and you want to email me, you can email me at jimmy at jimmystable.com or you can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm on Facebook and all the links to those shows uh, or those social media accounts are at my website, jimmystable.com. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe at jimmystable.com slash subscribe where I make so many different ways for it possible for you to describe. You can do it through Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever other awesome podcasts are found. Um, and they even have the old fashioned way for you. Maybe, maybe those of you who are boomers or use AOL.com, you can go to uh, drop your email address into and get a newsletter and get a notification every time a new podcast is published. So everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey and this has been John Howie, Jimmy's table.com where I'm, where I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. Take care, everybody. God bless and have a good one. Oh yeah. Leave a five star review. Don't leave me any three-star reviews. I can't do anything with that. Uh, Five-star reviews all the time. Take care, everybody. God bless and have a good one. That's all I have to say about that.
that's the right on, man. You said it all.